Welcome to my favorite space and place on the planet. I call the room that we're in together this weekend, the upper room. See, the upper room, it was the place of Pentecost. This is where the, this is where the Spirit of God and the fire of God fell on a ragtag bunch of fixer uppers. No one would have ever dreamed that group would transform the world. But because of what happened in that upper room, because of what happened in their prayer closet, they were able to launch out and transform a world that definitely needed fixing up. So this is where it happens for me every day. This is where I spend time with God. This is where I passionately pursue prayer and connection with heaven. 35 years ago, when I became a Christ follower, I mean, within my very first few weeks of being a believer, I learned about what was called back then, and some still use the term, quiet time. And quiet time means a lot of things to a lot of people. It's what you do to your kid when they're in trouble. They go to quiet time. Well, this is not a punishment. This is a pleasure. This is what I love to do most, which is connect with heaven. Why? Well, the number one command in the Old Testament and the New Testament is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. How can we love someone with whom we're not intimate with? And the one thing that is absolutely essential in intimacy is time. It is required. There's got to be a proximity. You've got to be close. Intimacy requires proximity. The, the, the person on the planet I love the most is Michelle. And one of the reasons that I love her so much is that we spend time together. And the more time that I spend with Michelle, the closer that she and I become. The more time that you spend with God, the closer that you draw, the, the closer, the more intimate that your relationship will be with Him. So what God did for me very early in my Christianity was draw me into intimacy, which meant drawing me into my prayer closet. After our second miscarriage, we weren't quite sure what was going on and if we'd ever be able to have children again. Doctors couldn't figure out um, what was happening. So we find out that we are pregnant for the third time and um, things didn't quite go as planned. And at about six weeks um, on a Sunday evening, I started to bleed pretty heavily. Yeah, and I remember hearing her crying. I was, I was in the living room hearing her crying uh, and running back there to see what was happening. And I can see she's bleeding um, and just hearing her say, I'm having a miscarriage, I'm having another miscarriage. And I remember sitting down on the tub trying to hold her hand. She didn't want to hold my hand and, um, <laughs> you know, not know what to do. So I started praying, you know, those very obligatory, uh, you know, God, we want what you want, that stuff. Didn't mean it. And uh, as we continued to pray, we prayed for 15, 20 minutes, and just something just happened. Uh, God just infused some boldness. Uh, in my prayers, and I prayed two things. I said, God, you started that baby's heartbeat originally. You can start it back. And the things that Rachel just bled, you can restore those things. Um, and I, I really walked out of that bathroom knowing that God was going to bring that baby back to life. Um, actually, the next morning when I woke up in my quiet time, I wrote um, 3 12 17 life. Uh, and I just believe that God was going to bring that baby's uh, back to life. You know, it's, it's hard to really 
verbalize that shift from obligation to real faith and belief. You know, whenever I started that prayer, I was, I was, I was really was trying, but it was just these things that I've always said. You know, God, I trust you, and it was just something in there, knowing that I that that shift from belief to that. Hey, I'm, I'm not just saying this because it's either what I've said in the past or what I've heard other people say, but I'm saying it because I believe it, and I'm saying it because I'm saying it because there's no one else I can say these things to. And I'm saying it because where else do I take something like this, you know? I mean, there's there's really, there's just nowhere else. There's some things in all of our life like that, like in that bathroom, there's nowhere else you can take those kind of things, you know? And so it shifted in that moment uh, from uh, talking to, I don't know, maybe a friend or something like that to talking to a, uh, a dad, but not just a dad, a dad who could uh, bring life back. So uh, it just went from... Uh, an obligation to a, a, an opportunity to hope, uh, an opportunity for life. So uh, we're grateful uh, and we pray every day that he keeps it. Hey, you know something? Prayer's not an obligation. Prayer's a golden opportunity. For Zach and Rachel, when there was no place else to go, when the doctor said there's no heartbeat, when there was no hope for the future, would have been three miscarriages in a row. Let me tell you what Zach and Rachel did. They hit the prayer closet. And as they grabbed a hold of God, God moved. See, again, prayer, it's not, man, it is a privilege that we get to connect with the creator of the universe. The devil would make you think, oh, man, this is work. Promisers, can I tell you something? It's a priority that you get a hold of this message. See, for me, what I did early on is I read books, Praying Hide, uh, all the books of Ian e. Bounds, Prayer and Praying Men. I read book after book, and for years, I continued to read books on intercession. I heard messages, much like the one that you're hearing now. Mentors and pastors taught me, hey, you've got to spend time in the prayer closet. A steady stream of sermons and support that just continued to usher me to want to spend more time with God. So I learned. Let me tell you what I did. I practiced. And everyone that I came in contact with that I thought walked with God, I asked them this same question. Tell me about your quiet time. Talk to me about your prayer time. And I would try what they did. And I tried things that helped me connect with heaven. You don't have to do it the same way. You don't have to go to the same place. You don't have to say, have the same space, but you do need a place and you do need a plan that you're going to work. So the closer that I drew to Christ in my closet, the more intimate I became with God. And then what happened for me is I began to, I began to just so desire time with Abba, my heavenly father. I began to block time out. I began to protect that time. And it has become, it's become a part of my strategy. It's a design now. Now, can I tell you something? Hell hates you being intimate with heaven. And so hell doesn't want you to get any better. It wants you to fail and flounder. They come to steal, kill, and destroy. So hell will do anything to hinder, to block your time with God. See, this place, not just the place, but this is where I meet with God. This is the source of my strength. This is where my passion 
for the house of God and the people of God and even those that are far from God. This is where the zeal that God just brings within me, this is where it gets injected into me. This is what Superman would call my fortress of solitude. This is what Jesus did when he was here. And can I tell you, can I be honest? Like I haven't been so far, but this is where I bring my pain. This is where I come when I don't understand. This is where I come when when someone says they had cancer or when someone's marriage falls apart that I love. This is where I come when I don't understand what's going on at our church. This is where I come when I don't I don't understand the next step. I come here and my journal is full of questions. God, I don't understand. God, what's the next step? God, what do you want us to do? Now, there are people that are counselors that I go to. There are friends that I talk with. But my first question is sent straight to heaven from my prayer closet. My first inkling of pain, it goes straight to my heavenly father. That's what prayer is all about. And we're, we're not actors on a stage. Prayer is where we are connecting intimately and deeply with God. When Jesus walked here, this is what he did. The disciples would wake up and Jesus would be gone. They knew exactly where he was. He was connecting with his power source that was heaven. As a matter of fact, let me just help you. I'm not perfect. I don't have all the answers, but I want to take a few minutes and allow you to listen in to what I do. I want to allow you to listen in to how it goes for me because what I do is, is I use a prayer journal. I do. I use a prayer journal because if I'm just praying, my mind runs at 10,000 RPMs and I'm distracted and every noise and every thought and all that stuff bothers me. So what I do is I just, I start my day. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for another day. This is the day that you have made. I'm going to be glad and I'm going to rejoice in it. God, today, would you flood me with your Holy Spirit? And God, not just me, but every promiser, would you take right now, wherever they are, at work, at home, at school, travel, and would you inject, God, inject a double dose of the Holy Ghost in them? God, there are promisers right now that are facing pain, that are facing problems. They have questions they don't have the answers to, but God, you have all the wisdom, all the anointing, all the authority, and all the answers. So Father, today, would you fill us with the Holy Spirit? Today, God, would you hinder hell from every aspect of our lives and our ministries and our businesses and our families and our kids? God, today, I cry out to you. God, I stand interceding between you and between your church, Faith Promise. God, we can't do it. We are impotent. We are totally powerless without you, without your power, without your presence. And so, God, today, I know that we live in a world that hates you, God. I know that we live in a world that has turned its back on you, God. And so, Father, would you be the light, oh God? Would you open our minds? Would you breathe on us like you did the disciples? And then they could understand. Today, God, there are promisers that are, that are they're blowing it. They're falling away. Oh, God, would you reach out? Would you whisper into their ear? Would you put your hand, God, on their shoulder? 
God, would you let them know that you are close and would you, what the enemy meant for evil, would you most high heavenly God mean it for good today, God? Would you let us worship you? Almighty King of heaven, you're worthy. God, you are holy. You are awesome, God. You're exalted. Give us a glimpse of the beautiful picture that we see in heaven. Give us a glimpse of you exalted above the cherubim. God, exalted above all the angels. God, as we see you in worship, loving you, worshiping you, honoring you, blessing you becomes easy. When we see you, God, the sad second substitute that this world tries to give us for you, God, we'll never fall for the ploys of the devil. Oh, mighty king, mighty king of heaven, there's a war that's raging. There's a war, God, for families, for marriages, for our children, for our church. Mighty king of heaven, would you make us to be overcomers? Would you flood us this morning? God, would you move all of heaven and hinder all of hell? God, use us this day. Oh, God, release the resources of heaven. And you know, church, that's just a, it's just a, a little glimpse. Because all I know how to do is pour out my heart for, for me, for Michelle, for my family for my small group, for you, for every campus. See, a lot of people ask me, how do you stay fired up after 35 years? Can I tell you, the closet is the space, it's the closest place between me and God, between you and God. See, true prayer, it's intimacy. Samuel, the greatest prophet, priest, judge, in all of Israel said this in 1 Samuel 12, 23, and it's been a guiding verse for me as a senior pastor. Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and the right way in which you should go. This is what I believe. I believe it would be a sin for me as your pastor not to pray for you every day. If Samuel believed it would have been a sin for him not to intercede for the people of Israel, then I believe it would be a sin for me as your pastor. I used to believe the greatest thing that I could do for you was preach great sermons on the weekend. Now I realize that's important, but far more important is that, is me to stand between you and God, me to intercede for you. So every day I pound on the door of heaven, I grab a hold of the horns of the altar, and I get before God and take you to the throne. Why? Because I love you. Because that's what God has called me to do. And so from the core to the casual attender, every day I let you up. Moses, he interceded for the exiles that were, that were coming out of Israel. Daniel, for the Israel that would, was enslaved for 70 years. Paul, for the new believers and the churches. Jesus, he prayed for every one of us. As a matter of fact, he said, I'm going to heaven and I'm going to be standing at the right hand of the Father and I'm going to be interceding, which means to stand between. I'm going to intercede between you and between my Father. So I pray for you. I pray for your family. 
I pray for the salvation of your family and your friends, people that are far from God. I pray for health, healing. I pray for many of you right now, Judy Sitterson, Kim Whitehead, Lee Wells, every day who are struggling with cancer. I pray for miraculous healing. I pray for restoration of marriages and lives and finances and groups. I pray every day that a fresh anointing would fall from heaven, would land on you, that you would walk in what I call the fog, F-O-G, the favor of God, that you would experience every day a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost, that waves of love and the presence of God would wash over you. I pray for your provision and I pray for your protection. Hey, whether you're in a small group or not, whether you serve or not, whether you give or not, that doesn't matter when we enter the prayer closet and, and, and I take you to heaven every day. I pray for a revelation every day of God's power and your potential. I pray for a revolution of your life in serving God. And I pray for a personal revival that when you, when your small groups together, when you are there and you and God, I pray that the heavens would open up and the glory of God would fall on you. Now, in the last two weeks, we've, we've, we've sort of built a foundation. We've, we've talked about building a growth plan. We've talked about the sandpaper of circumstances and, and going down. We've laid a foundation of the Word of God. We've demolished some walls and some things in our lives so that we can actually get down and see the foundation and the support of God and the favor of God. But, you know, we've hit the most difficult part of a project. And for me, and you know, guys, I'm a project guy. The most difficult part is the middle. When you begin, you're excited about what's going to happen. And when you're near done, you see it. But when you're in the middle of a project, man, you can lose. It licks all the red off your sucker because you can't see the end. Look around. You see debris everywhere, rubbish and rubble just piled up. And you just walk in past, past a, a mess every day. Hey, can I ask you a question? Do you ever feel like your life is a mess? <laughs> I know I do. I look around and say, Lord, I'm, I, I can't even keep up with it. And you know what? That's great because we're all fixer-uppers. And God promised what he began, he would finish. So now we've laid a foundation. So now we can build a life. And, and, and can I tell you, the part that we're talking about today is preeminent. Ladies, and we're talking about what is, is for many of you the most important part of a project. No, I'm not talking about the kitchen. I'm talking about the closet space. Because see, closets, hey, you know what? They're not fancy, but boy, are they functional. Are they necessary? But like a home with no closets is a life with no prayer. And so many of us are running, 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 running. And as I'm, do, as, I'm, as I'm sharing this message with you to every single campus, you know what's happening? You're beginning to think, when was the last time I really connected? So the Spirit of God is beginning to swirl. He's beginning to move. He's beginning to inject in all of us a little conviction, a little drawing of us to himself because that's what he does. Now, let's admit it. All of our lives are cluttered. And would you all agree with that? Come on. If you're listening, say, I am. So here's the deal. Closets are where you put the junk. It's where you hide all your stuff when people are coming over. See, the prayer closet is where you take your junk and you hang it up to heaven. God said, cast all of your cares upon me 
for I care for you. So when I come into the upper room, I cast all my cares on God. You know, sometimes I'm even agitated at some of y'all. I'm bothered that there's our faithfulness drops. I'm bothered by, you know, people that don't serve, you know, and I'll ask God, God, how do you feel about promisers that never give or never serve? How do you feel about people that come to church once a month? And you know, I think it bothers God more than it bothers me. Because see, I'm, I'm responsible to you, but not for you. So the disciples, let me give you, let's go to the New Testament. The disciples ask Jesus a question. And I love this question because they go to him and they say in Luke 11, verse 2, or they, in, in verse 1, he said, Lord, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. We don't understand. Help us to pray. See, they saw that heaven was the power source of connection for Christ. And so they saw that Jesus entered into his closet on a regular basis. They didn't say teach us how to cast out demons. They didn't say teach us how to heal people. That was much easier than spending time. So they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And we've talked about a prayer closet. This is an unbelievable picture I want to show you. Now, Jesus was called a rabbi. This is a talit. And a talit is a, is a prayer shawl. And it was a prayer shawl that were worn by rabbis. And so Jesus says, when you enter your prayer closet, and this is what he was talking about. He was talking about building a closet. And he said, when you enter your closet, he said, I want you to close the door. Well, how do we close the door? This is how we close the door right here. We close the door with the word of God. And we're in the word and we're praying and we're covered up. And you know what we're doing? We are blocking out the world that is pounding on the door to the upper room, that is pounding on the door to the closet, trying to do everything to distract you. The world is set up to distract us from God, to keep you out of the closet. Do anything but prayer because the, the weakest Christian on his knees, she, he or she is stronger than all the power of hell. Can I tell you, the enemy knows that when you enter your prayer closet, you become an overcomer, more than an overcomer. See, the question I want us to just contemplate or think or consider is this. Do we really believe that prayer works? Or do we think that we work more than God works? Do you trust you or do you trust God? See, in Matthew chapter, in chapter 6, in what, what we know is a Sermon on the Mount, Starting in verse 5, Jesus said, when you pray, he said, you're not to be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I said to you, they have their reward in full. But you, you Christ follower, when you pray, go into your inner room, your closet, and close the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Again, I just showed you the closet that Jesus said for you to get in. So all of my Christianity, I've always found a space and a place where I go and I hang out with God. And so that's what we want. Can I tell you, do me a favor, don't take your cell phone. Don't take your laptop. Don't take anything with you into your closet that will keep you from connecting with heaven. 
because everything is set. Even your, hey, ladies, you stay at home. Ladies that work at home, your kid, you know, your kids will be asleep and you'll pick your Bible up and immediately there'll be a cry. Why? Because everything is there to do. See, the reason that I journal, the reason that I write it down, why? Is because I know I'm going to be distracted. My thoughts, even if nobody's home, my thoughts will distract me. So how are we to pray other than consistently? Because we know the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, to pray without ceasing. We are to live in an attitude of prayer. So in Luke 11, the Lord gives us what I would call an outline. Now, what many people have turned this into is I'm going to pray this prayer. That what I do not believe that's what Jesus was doing because it would only take 30 seconds and Jesus spent lots of time with the Father. This is a starting point. So he says in verse 2, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So prayer is a place of worship. When you enter into, we run into the arms of God and we say, Heavenly Father, Abba, Jehovah, Elohim, Adonai, El Shaddai, I love you this morning. God, you're able to meet every need. God, you are so big and so powerful. You are so high and you are so holy. God, you are so able. And what we do is we enter into his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. When we begin to worship, we begin to see God bigger. See, we may enter the closet with our problems bigger than God, but before you come out, God will be bigger than your problems. And so we begin with, hallowed be your name. God, there is nothing that you stand before the majesty, the, the glory, the power that is yours. And so you just spend time worshiping God. And then you say, your kingdom come which means I surrender my agenda and my will and my plans and my purposes to the higher calling of Christ. I submit today, God, to not build my empire, but build your kingdom. Your kingdom come, church, is our war cry. Remember, we did a series called Kingdom Come. Man, we are soldiers of the kingdom of God, so you just surrender your life. Then it goes into verse 3, give us our daily bread. With gratitude, we lay our requests before God. All through my prayer, I don't just have a room, but all through, I'll just say, Lord, I'm praying and God will bring like Kim Whitehead to my mind and I'll pray for Kim or I'll pray for my uh, mentors or I'll pray for my, I just, you know, there just is a time that we say, God, here are my needs. You know them, but I'm going to bring them to you because I know that you're going to give me my daily bread today. Then it moves in verse four, forgive our sins. See, the prayer closet is a place of granting forgiveness. David was a man after God's own heart. And one reason I believe, because David's what I call a rapid repenter. See, he would say, search me, O God, and try me, I know me, and see if there be any hurtful way in me. And he would ask God, and then he would say, oh God, I, that's a sin. I'm so sorry. I lied yesterday. I, I lusted. I did this. Man, just as we, we 1 John 1, 9, we come and, and agree with God, which is means to confess that I've sinned and he's faithful and just forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we, we forgive. So we ask God to forgive us and then it's a place of forgiveness. He said, and forgive our sins as we ourselves have forgiven everyone who is indebted to us. Everybody that hurt you, that abandoned you, that raped you, that stole from you, that slandered you, 
that got that promotion over you, that ex-spouse that, that, that's, that's living large and in charge while you're living in a closet because you can now no longer afford whatever the case. We live in a fallen world. And we, so we're going to say, Lord, I forgive that person that slandered me, that hurt me. See, if we're going to be like Christ, then Christ forgave the killers, the people that were executing him, and they never even asked for it. See, what some of them say, well, if they ask, I forgive. No, you forgive already. Or you will take God, who is the keeper of the keys. God is the one who is in authority, and he's the one that holds all, the, all of our joy, all of our victory, all of our peace. But if you choose unforgiveness, then you have taken the keys away from God, and you've given the keys to your joy to someone who's already hurt you before. Come on, man, we're not going to do that. So just say, God, I forgive that person. And then it says, and lead us not into temptation. So what do we do? Man, we come to God and we it's a it's a place of protection and a fortress. And when I leave this, when I leave this room, when I leave the upper room, I know the devil's gonna attack. There'll be temptations. There'll be things in, that'll happen in my day. And so uh, God, give me strength to stand, give me strength to walk in purity, give me strength to run, to flee youthful lust. Give me strength. Today I choose purity. Today I choose to be clean and close to you. See, deliver me from temptations. This makes sense. Help me, God, to be a warrior. Put the, put the armor on, the helmet of salvation that will help you think the right thoughts. See, that Jesus was crucified on the place of the skull, and we are to cover our skulls, our minds, with the helmet of salvation. Help me think the right thoughts, have the right emotions, do the right actions. We are to lift up our shield of faith that extinguishes all the arrows that, the, that Satan is shooting at us. We sing, swing the sword of the Spirit. We, we put on the belt of truth. We, we put on the shoes of the gospel. And then there's one more that we never think of. It's the next verse, and praying in the spirit. Come on, we are connected to heaven. See, the prayer closet is, saves a space and a place for you to depend on God's grace. So Jesus goes on in, in, in that same passage. And suppose one of you has a friend who goes at midnight and says, friend, let me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey. I have nothing to set before him. From inside the house, he answered and says, Don't bother me. The door's already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And so he says, So I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, but because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Persistence. That's our prayer life. Persistently pounding on the door of heaven. So I say to you, ask, it's going to be given. Seek, you're going to find. Knock, it's going to be open unto you. I suppose one of your uh, fathers is asked by his son to give a fish. He's not going to go give him a snake. Will he? No. Or he asked for an egg. He's not going to give him a scorpion. Then you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give of the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Let me give you a thought. You know, most of us are we're hoarders. And I don't mean junk in the closet or in the basement or in the garage. We're emotional and spiritual hoarders. We hold on to stuff. We hold on to sin. We hold on to hurts. And we hold on to these things. And, and, and powerful prayer cleanses clutters. Clutter. In Hebrews, it says, lay, in Hebrews 13, lay aside every weight that's clutter. And then every sin that so easily entangles you and let us run the race with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of faith, and consider him. So we learn from his model. He, man, he was always about prayer. See, prayer, listen, 
is an opportunity, a heavenly opportunity. It is not an obligation. I don't pray because I had to. I pray because I love to. Intimacy means time invested. I invested in my wife. I invested in my family. I invested in you. But more than anything else, I invested in heaven because that's what makes, it's what makes the difference. Now, next week, we're going to talk about brick by brick. You don't want to miss it. But can I tell you something? It's hard to talk to God if you don't have a relationship with Him. So, hey, campus pastors, if you guys would make your way up, and would you lead some people to Jesus this weekend who now are hungry for a relationship? And so would you lead them every campus? Would you, give, would you just give a hand welcoming every campus pastor as we move on to deeper intimacy with God? I love you, and today I'm praying for you.